We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network, don't forget we love to know what you think about what we think. Let us know via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We've got a big announcement coming up on Monday about uh, what we're going to be doing next that we are very, very excited about. Uh, The deal was actually done, finalized today, but uh, decided uh, we're going to hold off until Monday because my oldest, or our oldest, uh, I didn't create this being on my own, uh, but uh, our oldest, uh, Anna, uh, her big role in uh, the city production of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory begins this weekend. And so I just sort of decided, you know what, uh, I've, I've had to wait till this thing got done for the last uh, couple of weeks. I'll wait for another couple of days. I want to I want to step on my own kids applause line so she can have this weekend. She has worked very, very hard for the last four months between tryouts and rehearsals when she got the role. Um, and so I, I we really want this entire weekend to be about her. But to rest assured, I know a lot of you have been asking me about this on Monday you will hear the big news, and we are very excited about that. Gentlemen, you know what is coming. 
Is right. this big news, do you think? Huge. It's real, and it's spectacular. All right, I just, I, and I only did that because I don't want people to think I'm pulling their legs or this is going to be some kind of radio stunt. Mm-mm. This is, as the great prophet Snoop Dogg likes to say, this is faux shizzle. This is, this, this is going down. All right, so Monday. Monday will be the big news. And, of course, we've gotten so used to setting the bar very, very low. You're going to yes. have to ratchet it up a couple that, of pegs. That, that is very true, right? because what may be big news for us is probably uh, a, a so what to most other people in our industry because our expectations are low. One of the men who trained me how to do this for a living taught me, if at first you don't succeed, lower your expectations. Indeed. Also, uh, today is December the 1st, so um, we are going to kick the Christmas coverage into high gear here on the show, and a couple of people I have a lot of respect for have books out about what this time of year means. One of them happens to be a good friend of mine who helped us get our start here in syndicated radio. He's going to join us later in this hour. The other is a guy, I'm trying to think, he, he's new, and have you guys heard of this? Is it to Lucado, Lucado? Have you guys heard about this guy? You, does this name sound familiar? There's been some rumblings. Yeah. Some rumblings. Um, it, it, it's this hot new author. People are are you know I've I've seen some people on Reddit discussing. So we're gonna I guess we're gonna find out if he's all that. You know I mean if we're we're here and he's kind of like the new it thing. So this Max Lucado guy is gonna join us coming up next hour about his book because of Bethlehem love is born and hope is here. And uh, that and more coming up here on the show tonight. I want to begin, though, with who could very well be the unsung hero of this election. Right? So a lot of people are wondering, why why did we get the shock November the 8th? Was it the hidden Trump vote? Was it Hillary's negatives stifling her own turnout to the point that even though she's going to win the popular vote by almost two points, two full points? She's going to underperform Obama's turnout margin in 2012. Was it backlash against the media? Exit polling shows that um, one out of five people voted on Supreme Court appointments. That's a big number, by the way. And Trump won those people by a whopping 17 points. Was it the team of Bannon uh, from Breitbart, David Bossy from Citizens United, and Kellyanne Conway, who's the longtime GOP pollster that used to work for Ted Cruz, who came in after the convention to basically save this sinking ship of a campaign? And they did some things strategically that a lot of people said, uh, what are you doing going to Michigan, right? Could that have been it? That they knew what they were doing and, never in the, and the smart set maybe did not. All of those things that we just talked about had some variation of a factor in what happened on November the 8th. And we'll leave it to the analysts and the pundits and the political scientists who are better at this than, the, than we are to, to debate which, which of those things has more merit than the others, if, if there was a priority list. But I would like to suggest there is a missing ingredient here from this concoction. That when we, we, we looked at the cauldron of 2012 and we grabbed some eye of newt over here and some wing of bat and, uh, uh, and, and some garlic cloves and some uh, Hillary voter depression and some Trump voter enthusiasm and a little bit. And we stirred in a little bit of hidden Trump vote over here. And right, we stirred all those things together and you tasted, you thought, almost there, but we're missing something. We're missing an ingredient. Something's missing. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but this is almost exactly the right recipe. I have it. 
you're missing a sprinkling of Jill Stein. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Yes, carbon-based life forms. The unsung hero of 2016 is none other than Green Party candidate Jill Stein. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Look at these numbers. In Michigan, Trump won that state by 10,704 votes. That is razor thin. 10,704 votes is the certified margin in Michigan. Jill Stein in Michigan received 51,463 votes, guys. In Pennsylvania, the state that put Trump over the top officially. Trump's margin in that state, 46,765 votes. Jill Stein received 49,678 votes, guys. And then Wisconsin. The state Hillary thought was in the bag. All along, we were just kind of counting Wisconsin and Colorado in her corner. She never trailed in any polls there. She didn't even visit these states. Republican hasn't won Wisconsin since 1988. Trump won the state by 22,177 votes. Jill Stein, your heroine of 2016, received 31,006 votes. Ladies and gentlemen, and carbon-based life forms of the 57 now-known genders all over this nation without borders anymore. I present to you the unsung hero of 2016. If you like Jeff Sessions as your attorney general instead of Eric Holder. If you like General Mattis as your secretary of defense. If you like the appointments you're seeing, if you like Betsy DeVos as education secretary instead of whatever educrat that you know Hillary would have put in there. And if you like who Trump ultimately decides to replace Antonin Scalia here in about seven weeks. Before you thank President Trump for these things, make sure you stop over at Jill Stein's house. Stop by her pad. And if she's not there, leave her a note. Send her a precious snowflake on Facebook, perhaps. Because she did you a solid. She did what Ralph Nader did to Al Gore in 2000 on steroids. She's the margin of victory in this election. And then this is where you get to hate the game, not the player. She's now running the scammiest of scam packs out there, demanding Hillary gets a recount. And she's the Green Party communist. She's not a communist. Jill Stein was the biggest capitalist that ran in this election. She used all of your language and your talking points of progressive snowflake America. Took just enough votes away from Hillary to decide these things, this thing. And now, and now she is sending you the check and you're tipping her on the way out the door by donating to the scammiest of scam packs. 
In fact, I want to go even one further. Time is debating right now who their person of the year is. I'm telling you, it is Jill Stein, America. Give it up. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands for Jill Stein because no one is more responsible for the Marxist being out of the executive branch in Washington than this individual is. And the numbers prove it, Todd. Well, there's got to say thanks. Isn't there a post that he, uh, Trump can give her in the cabinet somewhere? Isn't there some good she could do? I've got to believe there is... Stapler guy. Appoint Jill Stein stapler guy from office space in the Trump administration. She is she's she is clearly deserving of some meaningless title for her meaningful contribution to this election. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. I'm of a Back here on the Steve Dace Show, I got an email today that if it was a one-off, I would just ignore, except I've, I've gotten this note a lot over the years. And, and I want to address it right now, because this is the exact kind of attitude that will create an environment where self this experiment in self-government, the longest standing experiment in self-government in the history of our species, will fail because of this mindset. A woman named um, Lillian Bowen sent this to me. Steve, Donald Trump won. When you talk smack about him, you and your staff are not being a Christian. Time to move on. You're sounding like Clinton News Network. Not good for the country, you or your children. I was taught to respect the president's job, even if he is not your choice. Number one, he's not the president yet. Number one. Number two, how come I never get these notes when I disagree with a Democrat? In all my career, I have never heard, not one time has someone sent me a note telling me that I don't sound very Christian when it comes to respecting our leaders in the way that I talk about fill-in-the-blank Democrat. Never has happened in my career. Why? Romans 13, respect, your, respect the earthly authorities, give honor to those whom are due honor, respect to those whom are due respect. That only applies to the people you ideologically agree with? Is that what it says? The standard for whether I am a Christian or not is not my opinion of Donald Trump. He's not a plumb line. The root word of Christianity, gentlemen, is what? What is the root word of Christianity? Christ. That's your plumb line. That's, the, that's, that's who determines the state of your Christianity. Not you, not me, not Donald Trump, not any other mere human. Christ does. And then in the same note... Accusing me of being disrespectful because we dared to disagree with some of the things that we had seen yesterday. She refers to the Clinton News Network. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is myopic. This is cult-like thinking. And I hope that you're listening tonight, Lillian. And I hope you're offended. Because that reaction will actually spark you to think about what I'm saying. I'm being provocative on purpose. I want to offend you. 
because that means what I'm saying is going to register. And when you're done, I'd like a crack at offending her too. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't work. This is not how self-government works. By the way, the scripture doesn't say respect uh, unconditionally and honor unconditionally. That's not what it says, does it? Is that what it says? It says don't cast your pearls before swine, what, Lillian? It says to give honor to those whom are due honor and respect to those whom are due respect. The man who wrote those words, by the way, had his head cut off for, for, for refusing to give honor to one who was not deserving of it and, not res- and, re- and, and refusing to respect a Caesar who was undeserving of it because he said, I'm not just Caesar, I'm God. And Paul said, no, you're not. And Caesar said, well, I'm going to cut your head off if you don't honor me as such. And Paul said, make sure the blade's sharp so we get this thing over with right quick. I got an appointment in eternity. Thank you very much. Let's get her done. I've had, my, I've had my fill of this wretched planet anyway. Let's just get it over with. He's not the standard. And ultimately, since we have a, a, a government by the consent of the governed here, the first initiative in this relationship is for him to respect us. That's the way this works, guys. It's the way this works. Who are you to judge him? The judge. I'm the judge. Who are the people that went in and voted? The judges. When you went in and voted, you were doing what? Judging. Judging. So who are we to judge? We're the judges. Highlight them apples. That's who we are to judge. We're the ones that judge. That's who we are. You know? It's like when God shows up to Job's friend and says, shut your hole, know your role. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Were you here when I hung the stars? When I made the mountains? When I parted the seas? When I slayed Leviathan? Were you here? No? Then shut up. So in our form of government, guess who we get to be? We're in that role. We're the judges. We judged him. Could he have voted himself into office? Nope. A lot of people are going to have to judge that he was the better superior candidate and judged accordingly, which means later on, guess what they get to do if they don't think he's doing a good job? They get to reverse that judgment. That's how this rolls. I know some of you aren't used to this whole self-government thing. But this is the mindset that allows authoritarians to arise. If you want Donald Trump to be successful, if you, if you want to prove that he is the man of the people that skeptics like me didn't buy into during the election, let me tell you how you won't be successful with this mindset. This won't work. If you want him to fail, if you want to hear, we told you all along and we warned you, if that's what you want to hear, then build him up as a false messiah only to watch Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall, not to be able to be put back together again. That's how this will work. Or have the last eight years not already taught us this lesson? Political messiahs are never saviors. And in our form of government, which relies on individual freedom and liberty, they usually fail spectacularly. Like the 93 million Americans without a job that Obama's going to leave the White House with. Like more Americans on food stamps than the total population of Spain that Obama's going to leave the White House with. $18 trillion in debt that Obama's going to leave the White House with. Near total loss of confidence systemically in government that Obama will leave the White House with. Why? Because a lot of people thought he was their savior. And he couldn't live up to it. 
because there's only one person that can fill that job, and it's already been filled. That's why we're putting up them trees this time of year and hanging those lights, buying them presents. Jobs already filled. There's no opening for Messiah at Craigslist or Monster.com. Jobs filled. I don't owe him a damn thing. And neither does anybody else. It's not the way this works. He owes us everything. That's how this was supposed to work from the beginning. But the, the mindset of the Lillian Bowens here is exactly how this will fail if it does. This is not supposed to be a system where you contort your own conscience and your own values and principles into some kind of pretzel to justify supporting or voting for somebody. We are supposed to support candidates who are the fulfillment of our pre-existing values, not the molders and shapers thereof. So I hope, Lillian, you are deeply offended at what I am saying. I hope it comes across as a slap across the face, because that means I got your attention. That's exactly the response I'm going for. Because that means it's stung. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. If I didn't think you were a patriot, if I didn't think you loved the country, if I didn't think you meant well, I wouldn't have responded to this. It would have hit the circular file. I'm responding this way because I do think those things about you. But I can promise you this. If you persist in this messianic belief about Donald Trump, you will set him up to fail. Political messiahs always fail every time. You're listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. Hey, quick correction, by the way. I got my states confused in the last segment. It's been since 88 that a Republican has won Pennsylvania. You got to go back to 84 and Reagan's landslide was the last time the GOP won Wisconsin in a presidential election. So... It's even more historically impressive than I let on a couple of seconds ago. All right, before we switch gears in the next segment and talk about the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas, you guys give me a little feedback and accountability. Was I too hard on Lillian here in the last in the last segment? You wonder why. And I'm going to let Aaron go first because I know what Todd's going to say. <laughs> you wonder why we got the election that we did. And make no mistake, I'm just as happy as anybody that the Marxists are out of the web, uh, out of the White House. But I think it's clear from voter turnout that the vast majority of Americans thought this was a an election between uh, which uh, piece of um, bad-smelling refuse uh, smelled not quite as bad. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the, the visceral reaction that we got. And you wonder why we got to this point. It's because exactly of that mindset, this upside-down, inverse um, uh, mindset of what uh, we are as a people and who we are as a people as it pertains to the way our government is set up that we are the ones who call the shots around here we are the employers 
they are our employees. And saying um, things about uh, Donald Trump like, well, we can't criticize him. He's beyond criticism because he's the president now and we have to respect him. But then not uh, saying the same thing when we criticize, criticize Barack Obama for that laundry list that you um, put out there, uh, Steve. This is... This is how we got to where we are now. It's this uh, messianic uh, you know, uh, view that all of us, uh, to some extent, have taken over a long period of time. Well, as you know, I had an example like this uh, yesterday. We, we talked about it uh, before teaching my daughter's catechism class. Somebody came up to me, and, and you could tell they were just on tent and some sort of see, I told you so moment. And I said, listen, I'm not down with your idol worship. And you could just tell he was like... He doesn't appreciate. We're about to teach Catholic catechism, and the notion that I would talk about something like idol worship was just absolutely foreign to him. This, oh, oh, no, no, no! You're the real idol because the only two decisions that mattered, you wouldn't, you didn't take either one of them. You, 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 you worship something that doesn't even exist. I said, listen, man, I, you go in and teach your class, and I'll teach mine. I'm confident I got I stand on, and you go ahead. You've got all week. You come and tell me. We're Catholic teaching, we're scripture, whatever. Merits that the the moral thing to do, the grounded thing to do, was that I had to make a choice. This is nonsense. It is nothing short of idol worship. That's one of the most beautiful, clarifying things of this election. It is separating the wheat from the chaff in some fundamental ways. We are clarifying, we are honing exactly what the gospel means, and it's high time. So I agree. Lillian? This is some tough love. You clearly need it. I hope you listen because uh, Donald Trump is not worth this fawning. No one. No no one. You took the words out of my mouth. No one is worth this fawning. So grow up. No one is worth this fawning. I mean, I, I, I crawled over broken glass, man, to try to get Ted Cruz this nomination. And when they when the campaign went on this get rid of Rubio strategy, so it's down to us and Trump. I didn't agree with that strategy, so did I keep my mouth shut? Did we did we get up before we went on there? Did I say, guys? Well, you know, I don't want to say what I really think because it'll make Cruz look bad, and a lot of Cruz people around the country listen to our show. Did we ever have those conversations? No, I told you what I thought. When I thought it was a bad idea for him to give the speech at the convention last summer, did I keep my mouth shut? Or did I say, well, you know, we got to support him no matter what? No. No, I, I told you what I thought. But that doesn't mean I was right in both of those cases. The point isn't whether the choice I made was right. The point is whether I was willing to make the choice. That's the point. These are our employees. Our employees. You know, if you, if you, own, a, if you, own, if you own a bunch of McDonald's franchises... When you take your wife and kids around to show them your wares, do you, do, you, do you have your kids walk up to the guy working the fry bin and say, hey, can my kids get a picture with you? You're so cool. No, they're your employee. When the manager at, your, at, at one of your McDonald's, when you need to meet with them because last quarter didn't go well, do you call them? I know you're really busy. If you don't mind, no. You're like, dude, we've got to have a meeting at 3 o'clock because stuff ain't going right. That's an employer, and you know what he does? If he wants to remain your employee, guess what he does? Shows up at 2.58, because 3 o'clock's late. That's what he does. See what I'm saying here? we got to change this paradigm, folks. 
Change the paradigm. You want government smaller? You want it to work for you and not special interests? This is how you do it. Take back control of the relationship. Stop drifting from Savior. It was so, so many of these counties that went for Obama in 08 that flipped to Trump this time. Why? Because you thought, well, this authoritarian will work this time. If that's what you're looking for from him, that's exactly how it won't work. You're not looking for a candidate who believes they're the Messiah. You're looking for the one who knows they are not. And that this time of year, we recognize the only one who truly is. Political messiahs make for terrible saviors. They will disappoint you every time. I actually, even though I don't like some of the last most recent decisions, overall, this has gone better than I was anticipating. And when I think it goes well, I will say so. And when I think it doesn't, I will say so. Why? Because I get to. Because I'm in charge. And so are you. This is a government by the consent of the governed. We are not subjects. We are citizens. You're listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at SteveDace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Well, he's a good friend of mine, and he helped uh, get this show launched a few years ago, for better or for worse. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of you think it's for worse, but you know what? I need to eat, so lie to me. Stu Epperson Jr. is with us. He's got the new book, First Words of Jesus, just in time for Christmas, and we want to welcome him to the show tonight. My friend, it's good to have you with us. Merry Christmas. How are you? Hey, Steve. I'm great, man. What, what an honor to be on the air with you, my friend. I know you say that to all the talk show hosts, but this time, Stu, you actually mean it. So I really do appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Well, I'm, 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 tr- I'm trying, man. I'm trying. It's rough out there. So we had you on a couple of years ago when you, uh, for Easter, put out the last words of Jesus. You decided to now double back and do the first words. Why? Well, I'm writing la- I was writing last words. It was about this time of year. And I'm starting to, you know, sweat it getting that manuscript in. You know what that's like, you know, writing books. The, the publisher's putting the heat on, and you got deadlines. And it's Christmas time, and I'm at the kids' Christmas pageant. And lo and behold, I start to listen as I'm thinking about the cross, which is my first book's all about what Jesus said as he died on the cross. Last words of Jesus, those powerful seven sayings as he died. That's on my mind and heart. But I'm in this. I'm in this room full of angels and shepherds and wise men and hearing songs like the one you just played coming in from that break. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you just make. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Wait a second. What happened to Merry Little Christmas? What happened to the cute, cuddly baby? What's this about Satan's power? What's this about the nefarious plot, right? So I got uh, really convicted to the point where I grabbed one of those foreign objects in the pew in front of me because you know my daughter's hope now you don't mean the foreign object in the bobby the brain heenan or captain lou albano sense this is a different kind of foreign object i could have put i could have put andre the giant down with this thing it's called a hymnal steve (laughs) it's got a it's thick it's got a bunch of songs they have there's page numbers believe it or not and you know you can actually sing songs by dead guys that actually have meaning so it's crazy so i started looking at those things and i literally and I'm not an emotional person, but I started to cry. Like, tears licked the pages. 
as I'm reading these words, and, I, and I'm saying, wait a second, I'm writing a book about the cross, but I'm at a Christmas program, which is supposed to be a merry little, you know, most wonderful time of the year deal, and I'm hearing the cross for the first time ever. Like, I've been, I've been hearing the Christmas songs all my life, but I'm listening, and the cross is piping right through, and it really convicted me. At that point, it wasn't a voice from above that was real loud, but it was God impressing my heart to write a Christmas book to, as a follow-up to the, to the cross book. And I didn't even have a title at that time, but that would remind people that, hey, there is a cross connected to that cradle. And that's how this book came about. What are his first words? Because, you know, I don't know how much people in our audience know this, but the, the, the Gospels don't really tell us a lot about his childhood. That We kind of skip ahead, right? He's born, then there's the scene where he kind of goes off on his own and at the Passover, and then, you know, he's, he's coming out of the desert at 30 years old, ready to take on a ministry, right? So there, unless you're Anne Rice, who apparently has the ends on uh, what was going on all those years, uh, the rest of us, uh, there, 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 there's a lot of silence going on there. So really, what are his first words? Well, I can tell you his first words were not, in spite of what some theologians say, they were not goo-goo God-God, okay? So we can get that off the table. <laughs> All right. But they were his first recorded words. His, he, he spoke many things, like in their Egyptian home, but his first recorded words we find in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, in that temple episode that you just mentioned, just, just there, he was... In, in my book, I talk about it. it. wasn't he, the Savior, Jesus, that was lost. His parents were lost, but they came back from a journey. They had already journeyed home. They all went to Passover in Jerusalem to, to, to celebrate. He's 12 years old, and they have a great Passover celebration. They head home with a big entourage back to Nazareth, and they don't have Jesus. So it's, it's kind of rough when you lose your car keys, your sweater, things of that nature, but when you lose the one who came to save the lost, it's kind of it's kind of really bad, you know? So they find him completely bedazzling and befuddling all the wise doctors and teachers and scribes in the temple, and his first words were in response to what would really sound like a, a chastisement from his parents. Why are you doing this to us? Mary said to him. Those are Mary's first recorded words, by the way, to Jesus. We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, his response were two questions. Why are you seeking me? So the one who said, follow me all his life, is saying to his earthly parents, why are you following me? The second question, don't you know that I must be about my father's business, which is perhaps one of, if not the most powerful statement of the mission of Jesus we have in the whole Bible, and it's out of the mouth of a 12-year-old young man. Was this harder to do than the last words? It, you know, it was. they, they both are different. Um, it, was, it was not harder from a standpoint. Is it, I wrote it over a longer period of time, and I have been, like I was, I was enjoying the music coming in, I've been on a steady daily diet of Christmas music, Christmas sermons, songs, stories, poems, anecdotes for the last three years straight, almost daily. I would say almost daily for the last two years. So I really enjoyed it, but there were, there were a bunch of hiccups along the way in getting it into the form that it is now. But what I found is, what made it easier, is I found that every single person in the Christmas narrative, 
Joseph and Mary, the shepherds, the wise men, even the nefarious Herod himself, uh, Simeon, Anna, they all are connected to those two words of Jesus, to his first words. Hmm. And that's what we do in the book. We just track through that, and there's some really cool things, and there's some really maybe not-so-merry Christmas things in here that are going to put put your listeners back a little bit. You know, we glamorize this season. We like that cute, cuddly baby on the bed of straw. We don't want the mangled, gourd Savior who hung on the tree of death. We love the Christmas tree with its ornaments. We don't like a a dead tree that's crossed with a a man hanging as an ornament on that tree that's barely recognizable by human eyes. And that's what the Savior went through, and that's really the point of this book is to remind people, hey, there's a cross connected to this cradle. There's a reason he came, and if you miss that at Christmas, you've missed the whole point. Well you said. might as well just say Mary. Don't say the second word. Well said. First words of Jesus from the cradle to the cross to Epperson Jr., Brother, good luck with the book. Merry Christmas. We'll do this again soon. Okay? I'd love to. Firstwordsofjesus.com. There's also a music soundtrack. Hope is a blessing to everybody. All right. Take care. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. By the way, if you want to get my buddy Stu Epperson Jr.'s new book, we were just talking to him about First Words of Jesus. Go to the website, firstwordsofjesus.com. And I, I love what Stu did there in our interview, gentlemen, where he was uh, quoting the lyrics of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Just yesterday, I was driving around with the wife getting some errands done. No, it was actually earlier today. And Belinda Carlisle, former lead singer of the Go Go's, was on the Christmas music station singing this song. And she, and so to hear this pop star diva singing the song with these lyrics, it just seemed a little out of place. Because I think some of you are like, why is there this why has there been this war over Christmas? You know, like what is the point of I mean, we're just in here buying presents, having some fun, eating some ham, right? I mean, what what are people so offended by this? Even if you don't, if you if you just like the time of year, if you don't understand the religious aspect of it, you know, one of the great scenes in all of movie history, and I'm not just saying this because it's one of my all-time favorite films, is the climactic moment of "It's a Wonderful Life," right? And George Bailey's friends, after years, his whole life, he has put out for them. They come in his time of need. They, they come forward and step up for him. And they sing a song at the end. You guys remember what it is? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Why? Because the angel Clarence, right? Remember every time, every time the bells ring, an angel gets its wings, right? You ever looked at the lyrics to Hark the Herald Angels Sing? It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Because we know the tune. Right, we hear it on the Muzak at the department store, you know the uh, the the Peanuts Christmas special. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild. Why? Next line gives you the answer why this is true, because God and sinners have been reconciled. That's why there is peace on earth. That's why there's justice, because God and sinners have been reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. 
for for something to be for something to cause the nations to rise up and join in their triumph would mean they are transcendent over the nations. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the favored one, right blessed are you, Mary among women, the mother of the Savior, veiled in flesh the God had seen, hail the incarnate deity, this is a reference to the Trinity, God in human form, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means what? God God with with us. us. That, ladies and gentlemen... If I came in here and I let off this show by by discussing this subject matter, a lot of you get offended. Well, this isn't a theology class, Dace. This is more what I just shared is more theology than the average American believer gets in a year of Sundays, and it's just the first two verses to one of the most popular Christmas carols. See, the other side, this is why they're offended. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Let us know what you think about what we think. Last name spelled D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Coming up here in the bottom of the hour, I, I, I told Aaron with the election over, I wanted us to sort of broaden um, the topics in the guest list and, you know, See if you can find some folks that um, maybe deserve some pub that our audience would not be familiar with. I have to tell you, though, Aaron, I'm very disappointed. What is this guy's name? Lucado? Lusada. Lusada? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Max? Have you heard of Max Lusada, Todd? Whispers. You know, I th- are you sure it's not Lucado? Strange Corners of the Or Lucado. Is it, is it Lucado, maybe? No, I'll get the pronunciation. I, I I, 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 how many more times, McIntyre, have I told you? I'm, we're, this is broadcasting. If I don't know how to pronounce the person's name, it doesn't do us any good. Well, I mean, he's so, another no, rookie mistake. Uh, I mean, he's he's so not well known at all um, that it doesn't really matter. Even more reason for you to clarify that. You're right. I mean, who is? Yeah. How are we supposed to know how to pronounce Lucado? Lucado. I. You know. I. I don't know. I'll get his. I'll get his freaking pronunciation when I get him online. He's, all right. a, he's just lucky to be on the show. Quite Agreed. frankly, any I'm publicity just, will do. Uh, that's true. He's not going to complain. He doesn't care if we call him Shirley, probably. But this new author, Max, whatever his name is, is going to join us. Coming up a little bit later on. But first, it's time to play a little buy, sell, or hold. This is where our producer, Aaron, each week gives us a set of provocative statements. Todd and I will decide whether we're buying that, whether we're totally selling on it, or we need to give it more time, more air to breathe. So we're going to hold for right now. We'll start uh, with uh, number one. We'll be paying noticeably less taxes this time in two years. Who is we? We, all of us in the middle class. I should, yeah, I should clarify the middle class. All right. Well, we need to clarify what is the middle class. 
Give me a, give me what's the price point? Uh, up until what? I, I think uh, generally that's um, around uh, up into two hundred to two hundred fifty grand. All right. So you want to say quarter of a million or less? You're going to call that middle class? Yep. Uh, to I think uh, thirty or forty grand. All right. Then I will say buy. I I don't think we will see across the board top marginal tax cuts. I don't think they'll do that. Um, at least until after tw- the 2018 midterm elections, I don't think we'll see that for fear of getting class warfare to death. But I do think you will see comprehensive tax deductions for people in the in the range that you were talking about. I think you will see comprehensive regulation reduction and corporate income tax reduction on some level too, which frankly a lot of people in that in those upper tiers probably would prefer if you gave them a choice between less personal income tax and uh, less corporate regulation and corporate tax, they'd probably take the latter if they had to choose one of the two, right? But I think, but politically, that's a much easier sell in this environment to say, hey, you know what, this is, because Trump can say, hey, this is why we had to give this deal to Carrier to get him to keep half of those jobs here and only send half of them to Mexico, right? A lot of you being told they saved all those jobs. They didn't. Actually, they're sending more jobs to Mexico than they saved, uh, slightly more. I think it's like 1,300 they're sending to Mexico and they saved around 1,000. All right. But that's going to be the argument for reducing the corporate tax rate and, the, and regulation. And that's a much easier political sell, I think, Todd, than what Reagan did in the early 1980s. I, I think Trump won't do that. But I do think you will see tax reductions for those making a quarter of a million or less in the range that Aaron talked about. Yes, I will buy as well. It's a smart play. But here's what I fear. It'll basically serve to anesthetize much of that group to caring about making progress in all other manner of life where we desperately need progress. We need to get our culture back. One of those legs of that stool is having more money in our pocket to spend as we see fit. But the thing we see fit to spend it on in a lot of cases is an education for our children that isn't brainwashing, things of that nature. And that's in areas I don't have any great confidence that we're going to push very hard on. Next, to General James Mattis as Defense Secretary means no more women serving in combat situations. Uh, are you saying that uh, this will be something that... Uh, tr- that he will, re- th- he will, will try to do away with. Um, bye. I know he said in the campaign that I thought that, uh, that, he, that he was for it. I will... I'm going to say... See, I'm actually optimistic on the social conservative stool. Based on what I'm hearing behind the scenes and what we've seen above the the fold in the headlines, where I'm not optimistic at all is I don't think there will be any attempt whatsoever to rein in the size of government at all on any level. Okay, at all. In fact, I think what you're likely to get, uh, you won't like me saying this, okay? When you think social conservatism does okay, limited government, though, the government grows. Who does that sound like? Who does it sound like, guys? Come on, man. George, George W. Bush. Wow. How'd you miss that? I think It this hurts is, too much to say out loud. I, that's I, th- I think this is going to look a lot like that. That's what I think. So I think limited government. Uh, isn't that it back on the bumper, man? Don't even show up, man. I mean, seriously. I mean, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Uh, just, in, 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 just don't. Don't even ask. The answer is going to be no. But I I do think you will see them rein in some of this social engineering stuff. At least at first they will. 
because you, I think Trump will honor the overwhelming vote of Christian uh, of Christian conscience that he received on election day. Now, now that doesn't mean because they do it initially, though, Todd, that this becomes the the consistent strain the whole way. I think I think as long as 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 helping as rewarding all those Christian voters that showed up November the eighth doesn't begin to cost him something politically, substantively, I think he'll stick with it. But I think the first time, the first time it, it causes him, it's problematic for him politically, then I think he'll throw us under the bus. I'll, I buy as well because I, I need to believe that an old dog like him just hasn't sold out to the rainbow jihad. I would get rid of all the commercials. There are, many of them are gone anyways. But be all you can be, things like that, that joining the military is like joining the Peace Corps. I just want commercials as uh, our job is to kill the bad guys, and we're going to uh, thin the herd in terms of the group that's capable of doing that. Next, Rogue it's One. A good campaign. I like it. Yeah, Rogue One is going to be surprisingly awesome. I'm going to buy. And the reason being is, I I never really got you were much more hyped Todd on the trailers leading up to episode 7 than I was. I mean they were nice but which is probably why I fell so hard. <laughs> yeah, I just I'd never, you know, it just they it, it seemed like they were going too far out of their way not to tell us anything. I love the vibe of this. I do. It's edgy and they've and and it and They've struck with that. They've stuck with that tone in all of the glimpses of the film we've seen. Meaning they they didn't try one tone. Okay, that didn't work. Let's do this, right? And you saw that with Batman versus Superman. As much as I love that movie, but they the initial uh, marketing was playing up the conflict between the two. And then when that really wasn't playing well, we saw at the end they played up the whole Batman angle at the end, right? And he was featured more than Superman was. In this one, they they seem comfortable with the the edginess of this movie. You know, she's kind of an Jane Nurse is kind of an anti-hero type, right? Female Han Solo type, right? And so I'm I like this vibe. I'm digging it. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna surprise us, even though there's rumors it's been racked with reshoots and problems and everything else. But I I like what we're seeing in terms of the of, of the early snippets they've shown us anyway. I'm gonna hold. I'm very schizophrenic about this. It's it's in like as with you, it's in my DNA. I, I need this to be good but i you know foreign todd's last two answers are i need this to be good i need this but for, four misses in a row it's i don't i don't understand why this is it's so got hard. darth vader it's, in yes. it how can they blow this yes but then again lucas managed to blow what should have been one of the greatest scenes in the history of oh. cinema him putting on the mask for the last time or the first time i should say Aaron, what's next? All right, uh, three more rapid fire here in about a minute. Uh, you will watch that uh, Dolly Parton Christmas of Many Colors TV special everybody's talking about at some point over the holidays. Sell. Sell. Good. Uh, next, one of the top four teams in college football will be upset this weekend. Bye. Bye. The college football playoff will be expanded to eight teams. Sell. Bye. When? When? Uh, in the next uh, three years. Definitely sell. No way. At least announced. You're still buying? Still buying. Still buying. Okay. Hey, we got through all that. So I think this is the first time in the history of buy, sell, hold. That wasn't bad. Huh? Now what? Live math? What do we, how do we, we should make a rule that you can only do hold one time so that you can't wimp out. You know what I'm saying? You only get to play. I like that rule. I think we're doing that. Next week, we start that, we start that rule. Hold you okay with that, Erzin? Yeah. You only get hold once. You only get to say hold one time. All right? Because... 
Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So no, we're no, promoting no. F- fake what, what fake choices? Of, uh, no, 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 no. This isn't a fake binary choice. Fake binary it, choice. It just, you know, get off the fence and make a call. That's all. Okay. All right. All right. The nightly buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. How something completely different? We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We got to get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is where we take a look back at some of the headlines we may have missed earlier in the evening, but are worthy of covering and reacting to nonetheless. These are the headlines that are the buzz, according to our producer Aaron. We react, respond with thoughts. Thank you, Steve. Uh, first story. So why did Hillary lose? President Obama was on the case in an interview with Rolling Stone. He said, quote, in this election... White working class voters turned out in huge numbers for Trump. And I think that part of it has to do with our inability, our failure to reach those voters effectively. Part of it is Fox News in every bar and restaurant in big chunks of the country. End quote. How many bars and restaurants? You guys, I get I travel not a lot, but more than I would like to for this gig. Okay, I, I don't know how many times I've walked into a bar or a restaurant and Fox News has been on. I just, I rarely see it. In fact, the only time I see CNN is when I'm in an airport. I just, I, I don't, I don't see Fox News now. It's, it's on the, it's on inside the homes of a lot of white working class folks, stem to stern. All right, uh, I mean, and and I mean, after dinner they watch O'Reilly and they go to bed at night to the O'Reilly replay. Okay, but at in bars and restaurants, I, I don't, I don't see. I don't see Fox News being omnipresent in a lot of those sorts of public settings, Todd, but I don't. maybe I'm missing something. Well, David Berge, known on Twitter as Iowa Hawk Blog, trolled this excellent. Who is, a, who is, is just a phenomenal Twitter yes. follow, mm-hmm. by the way. He's one of the best there is, and he, he mocked this by saying, come come to BW3 or whatever he said for two-for-one wig night and an O'Reilly hour or something like that. I mean, this, this of course, isn't happening, but it speaks to the, the mind of Obama. I mean— he and his ilk control all of the machinery of government. They are the ones who are everywhere. But they actually believe that this thing called Fox News is 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 the Wizard of Oz controlling everything. It, it's insane. It's totally detached from reality. And they really believe it. They're nuts. Next uh, story, after Donald Trump won the uh, November 8th presidential election, some professors at the University of Pennsylvania turned their classrooms into safe spaces where students could share their apprehension over the president-elect without fear of confrontation. No. And one dorm set up a breathing space with coloring books, snacks, and a comfort dog for petting. No. Couldn't it have been a hold-your-breath space until you pass out? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, exactly. Uh, next story, Nick Cannon spoke out against Planned Parenthood. My new hero. Yes, uh, saying the reproductive 
health organization. Really, they're just an organization who kills a lot of babies, promotes population control. When approached by Splash News to comment on his anti-Planned Parenthood remarks from last week, Cannon said the organization is participating in, quote-unquote, modern-day eugenics. The Americans got talent to host a tour into Planned Parenthood in its stance on abortion in an interview, which is its whole business, last week on The Breakfast Club. He said Planned Parenthood is inflicting real genocide on the African-American community. Stud. Flat-out stud. Yep. I, come, I, I'm in. Not to mention the the doubling down on it mm-hmm. later. He's doubled down on it even Got since so this initial much, yeah. story came mm-hmm. out. And, I mean, I'm in. Yeah, no, so, I'm, I'm sorry. My words were misconstrued. None yeah. of that. Like, you're if, damn right I said that. If, if Nick Cannon called me up on the phone right now and said, Steve, I'm going to really need you to run through a brick wall here in the next 10 minutes, I'd be like, I'm in. Set me on fire while you're at it. Uh, put me in, coach. Some, what, what's striking about this to me as well, and I'm, not, I'm just trying not to sound... Um, condescending here, but but for somebody to make a statement like that about an organization like Planned Parenthood, it's obvious that he... Uh, he he's he, done his research. He's done his research, yeah. yes. He knows things. Next story. Before he was shot dead while attempting to murder a bunch of people with a car and a butcher's knife, Ohio State University student Abdul Atan, a Pakistani immigrant who reportedly became radicalized after learning about injustices uh, committed against fellow Muslims, was enrolled in a class called Crossing Identity Boundaries. In fact, he had a group no. project on microaggressions due later this week. You can't make this up. No. No. I, I, I just... I'm going to say this as politely as I can, because people are hurting. This is why it is necessary to understand the existence of evil and what causes it to grow in size, scope, power, and influence. Because you will create the very environment, the very breeding ground for it to impose itself on you. That doesn't mean that the crazy progressive faculty at Ohio State is responsible for this attack. This individual who perpetrated it is solely responsible for his actions. What, however, those crazy progressive faculty members are responsible for is whether or not the crazy progressive environment they created on campus essentially acted as a um, help-wanted sign for this man to act on his own evil. Whether they essentially were waved a red, uh, a, you know, a, a red fabric at the bowl and said, Olay. Whether they essentially decided to keep a scorpion for a pet. They are responsible for that. And this is essentially where you are, you are wearing, when you, when you deploy this worldview, this progressive worldview, Todd, you are wearing, you are wearing the, the, the terrorist version of a kick-me sign on your person. And they will take advantage of it. College has raised weakness and victimization to the level of sacrament. Preach. And so this is, I, I will echo what you said. 
So they aren't indirectly responsible for this act, but they are directly responsible for creating an environment where bad things are bound to happen. A University of Missouri earlier this year is a cousin of this. Final story, the Southern Poverty Law Center reports that no. tonight, okay, Victoria's Secret is taking Thank friendly you. fire. You want to trigger me, reference the Southern Poverty Law Center. <laughs> what What is Victoria's Secret taking friendly fire for? Uh, they're taking friendly fire from a leading women's magazine for allegedly showcasing racist underwear at their what? Grand Palais what? in what? Paris this week. How the- is underwear racist, Todd? It had to does, do. Does, I mean, with, did have a, does it have a picture of Robert Byrd on it somewhere? I mean, wh- how is no, the underwear racist? What's the term? It's patriarchal the, or something? The newfangled like term where you co-opt uh, a, a a culture that you're not supposed to oh, appropriate. Appro- they've appropriated. Yeah, they were walking down a runway with Asian themes and things like that. No, no, no. It's just got to be Whiteyville, tidy Whiteyville. If it gets a little too exotic, that's racist. It's Victoria's Secret, Steve. It's supposed to be exotic. I'm out. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. He is a multiple New York Times bestselling author. In fact, he's one of the best-selling authors of our era. Max Lucado joins us. His new book, Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here, and we want to welcome him to the show tonight. And Max, it's a it's a pleasure. Really, it's an honor to have you with us. How are you? Oh, the, the honor's all mine. Thanks for making time for me. Max, I like to tell folks I'm a conservative because I believe in conserving things. I, I, I'm trying to conserve the things that I think history has shown are what's best here, this side of heaven, are what's best for the human condition. And that's one of the things, uh, or one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about communicating to our audience uh, the real reason for the season, what it is we are celebrating here, because coming out of what, what occurred this moment 2,000 years ago, a lot of the various traditions, teachings, morals that gave birth to this thing called American exceptionalism began one day... Um, with a Jewish, birth, a Jewish birth with the one kid who could literally say when his mom yelled at him, yes, I was born in a barn. And that's where it really <laughs> all began, right? I have never heard that. I was born in a barn. I, I wish I'd have heard that use that in the book. You know, that's absolutely true. The, the beauty of the, of the Christian faith, uh, Steve, is, is just the uniqueness of it, just the beauty. It's, it's so, so um, outlandish that no human, I think, could ever made it up and and that is this promise that god became a baby and was born in a barnyard and and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lived on the earth among his creation uh breathing our air walking in our dust and experiencing everything we experienced never fell into sin and then died on the cross uh for our sins and rose from the dead to prove that he was the king of kings and, and the lord of lords that's that, that the Christmas just gives us a chance to re- 
It is because what sets this all apart, really, is every other religious system, Max, it seems to me, you go throughout history, begins with, a, with some sort of creed, some sort of, of faith statement, some sort of mythos. And, and what you see in, in Christianity is that it, its two tent poles are, object, are objective historical fact claims that either God put himself in human form uh, to be born of a woman, just like the rest of his creation, to have to be nursed, to have to be changed, to have to be fed, to have to be raised, to have to be taught, and then as an adult, lived as an adult. He was hungry like us, had to go to the bathroom like us, had to sleep like us. I mean, that, that first of all, just should blow your mind to begin with. The, the idea that the most powerful being in the universe is willing to lower himself uh, along those lines in order to have communion to you, with you, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. That either happened or it didn't, and, and either a dead man was dead and then was alive, or, it, or he wasn't. And I think that's what really sets this apart and, and why it's so hard to accommodate our worldview. But when Christianity comes along like cold water to the face of a sleeping person and says, hey, wake up, these things either happened or they didn't, right? Exactly. And, and God comes in the form of Jesus Christ uh, as a kind and loving Redeemer, but also a perfect and righteous judge. Uh, and we, we actually use the term king. We regard him as king. And so consequently, we find ourselves sometimes living uh, in, with an attitude toward a king that creates a certain worldview, uh, a worldview toward uh, the preborn, for example or a worldview toward the sanctity of marriage, a worldview toward the poor, a worldview toward... Um, we could make a pretty good list, couldn't we? And, it, and these, these, are, these are teachings that are above any government. And so we find ourselves sometimes in conflict with what the government says we should do or should permit and, uh, and what, what, what Scripture says. And so the constant conflict that we have is... Uh, can we, as a nation, live together in a pluralistic society and, 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 and respect one another enough to allow a person to have high regard for his God without imposing uh, convictions upon him, and vice versa? Can we, who have convictions that we receive uh, from Scripture, live respectfully with our neighbor who, who may not have those convictions? Max, pardon me, I'm up against a hard break, but I'm going to let you finish that thought when we come back here with Max Lucado, author of Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here, in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. The one and only best-selling author, Max Lucado, our guest here on the Steve Day Show tonight. Author of Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here. Stories from Christmas that, we, that are really legends to a lot of people. Shepherds, 
uh, stars, uh, mangers, wise men. How, how relevant are these stories to us today, and, and how do we translate them today? Wonderful question. Each one of these stories has, one, has a powerful relevance to our lives today. Uh, you know, the story of, of, of the wise men who were actually Persian stargazers and yet found themselves bowing before the, the baby Jesus. That sends a message that God's gospel is for the whole world. It's for anybody who comes. Uh, the shepherds, uh, bottom of the totem pole economically, may, might have even been night shift shepherds. And yet who shows up, uh, who, to, to whom did the angels appear, and, and who showed up worshiping Christ? You, you're never, never too simple, never too poor to come to Christ. Then there's the story of Herod, King Herod. He could have he could have made the ten mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but he was too proud. Uh, he he was too proud to do so. And so every one of these stories carries with it, I think, a message of of great relevance uh, for us today, because we ask those questions. You know, who can come to God, and uh, you know, what what are the things that keep us from God? Well, we find answers in the early characters of the of the Christmas story. You know, when you when you were laying that out, Max, I'm I'm thinking um, in terms of archetypes and and what it, what would do all the individuals that you just referenced? Who would they be in our culture today? Yeah. Mary, a single mother. Um, Joseph marries into uh, some. You know, obviously he's he, he's the father, but he's not the natural father. So this is in a way almost a, 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 a first century version of a blended family. You see, you mentioned the the, the, the Persian stargazers, uh, you know, people of science or, uh, you know, people of, uh, of, of maybe pagan origin. Um, and then you look at um, the shepherds. I mean, these are working class, lower working class individuals, uh, the kind of which that, frankly, high society didn't place a lot of stock in. And and you look at how they all of these various factions that are that make up a lot of our own everyday culture in America today, they all converge here at the manger scene. And then who is not there? Who's not there is the is the authoritarian from what he views to be an omnipotent government, all powerful, that that simply will not bow the knee to an authority higher than his own. And of course we know the next chapter of the story, tragically, he seeks out seeks to snuff out anything or anyone that would seek to say, You are not the highest authority here on this earth. Boy, there are a lot of parallels there to the culture we live in today, is there not? I love the way you summarized it. To be honest, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody work their way through all of the different characters there, but it truly is a mosaic, a mosaic of our day. And there's even another group. There there were the religious leaders uh, to whom Herod turned uh, when the wise men came to Jerusalem. They were the ones who consulted the Torah. Mm-hmm. But uh, for whatever reason, even though they read the prophecy that said that uh, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, for whatever reason, they too didn't make the journey to Bethlehem. And uh, maybe they represent the people who were who were too religious. So when I say religious, I mean who were too sophisticated in their religion to be open to the supernatural. You know, you can create a religion that doesn't have really any room for God. And and maybe they uh, they represent that person as well. So you're right. There's a there's a whole mosaic of humanity in the in the story of Christ. For those who are skeptical of what we're talking about tonight. Don't you think the fact that even amongst the unbelieving crowd, there is a desire this time of year for kindness, for gentleness, for decency, for wholesomeness, for for relationship, for, well, pardon the expression, peace on earth. 
the fact that that even amongst the unbelieving community, they have a sense of wanting or an, a willingness to participate in these concepts, notions, or ideals this time of year, doesn't that just reinforce its transcendence by the fact that even the skeptic de- desires on some level to partake of this? Yeah, where does goodness come from, you know, in the desire for goodness? Why, why do all humans aspire to peace, although we do not know really how to bring it about. Uh, the fact that there is there is there are godlike qualities within us really just echoes the the promise from the book of Genesis, where the where, where God said we will make man in our own image. So every man has and every woman has a spark of God within them. Uh, some people spend their life trying to snuff that spark out, uh, but I believe that that God helps us bring it to life, and I'm of the deep conviction that, that when a person gives their heart to Jesus, he returns the favor, and he places his heart inside of that person, and that person becomes a, well, you might say, a modern-day Mary in their world. They begin delivering goodness, delivering hope, even delivering Jesus into the world. Mm-hmm. And what happens to a society when they don't believe that anything is going to happen after this life, and they promote that all of the purpose of existence is caught up in what you buy or what you own or where you work. Those consequences of secularism are beginning to uh, just just contaminate our, our, our culture. I would be the first to say, as one who's been in the church all of his life, churches have messed up. We haven't always done it right at all. But i got to say, man, what, what, a lot of the struggles that we're seeing right now in our young people and in marriages, and in uh, regards to addictions, they come not from not from faith. They come from a worldview that says there is no God, there is no meaning, and there is no future. So let's be careful. We go around taking all of these uh, vehicles that bring faith into our schools and faith into our world. We begin extracting them. We'll pay a price for it. I've had several people over the years say to me, well, I don't go to church because I had a bad experience. I was abused there, or I... I Witnessed a great hypocrisy there. I was taken advantage of, and I understand that. And I'll ask him, you ever had a bad romantic relationship or the person you married is the only person you ever fell in love with, ever had romantic feelings for, nobody ever broke your heart? Well, no, I mean, I've had my heart broken. I said, well, then by your own standard, why do you need to take a vow of celibacy and say, I just, I can't try this. I can't try the opposite sex ever again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, give give the church, there's other, there's other fish in the sea, so to speak. Exactly. Give the church another try. Max, it's been an honor having you with us here tonight. Thanks for being with us, and I wish you good luck with the book, brother. Let's face it, you ain't going to need it. I think we all know that. <laughs> because of Bethlehem, love is born, hope is here. Max Lucado, it's been an honor, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Steve. Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. God bless. Bye. Listening to Steve Dace. Hunting rhinos into extinction. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. I want to thank Max Lucado for joining us here this hour. Truly an honor. 
Guy has sold 97 million books. 97 million books. That's 4 million more books than people who are currently not working in the Obama economy. Stop and think about that. That's how many books that is. 97 million. That's incredible. And he has done it. Well, we gotta we gotta we gotta water down what we believe and we gotta change what we think and say and we can't use certain words because people don't understand and wait we've gotta we gotta moderate everything we do. Ninety seven million books by bringing the heat, albeit with a deft touch, because he's a gentle soul, but he doesn't water down the theology at all. And he sold ninety seven million books. Ninety seven million. Don't tell me that if we're not excellent at at utilizing the talent that God gives us, that we have to alter his story in order to get people to consume it. I think Max Lucado's career is indicative of the fact you lie when you say such things. Now, when you look at Christmas, how big of a deal is Christmas in America? 88% of Americans are going to put up a Christmas tree this year. 65% of Americans say they will attend a religious service at Christmas this year. Six million people give to the Salvation Army. On average, the average American consumer will spend $688 per consumer on Christmas gifts. 130 million pounds of eggnog are sold every year. And they're all good. Do you guys like eggnog? Amen. It is yes. good stuff. Love it. One million one hundred and eighty-three thousand two hundred and sixty-seven copies of Max Lucado's fiction Christmas book from a few years ago have been sold. One point six billion Christmas cards are purchased every year. Christmas is a big deal in America. But how many of us really know why it is a big deal? And I'm glad that uh, Max was with us tonight to discuss that. And Aaron, when you were listening to that interview, some of your thoughts as you listen to Max and I talk about these things. Well, the the one thing that really stands out, and we always have from a very young age, especially in this country, we always have this image of this uh, tiny baby sitting in a manger. Uh, but, But the meaning behind that, as both of you hit on, that God became man, that heaven came down to earth, is, I think, sometimes lost, even among our churches, in this very quaint... Um, this very quaint scene that we think of in our heads, and yet eternally, it means everything to human existence. Hour 3 is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. About to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with our third and final hour tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Still to come at the bottom of the hour. Actually, no. 
about 15 minutes from now, we're going to apply the Ten Commandments of Political Warfare to how Donald Trump's presidential transition team is before, is performing, at least so far. And don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name spelled D-E-A-C-E. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is three questions when our producer Aaron gets to ask us any three things about any three things. No topic is off limits. Nothing too personal, too tawdry, especially this time of night. There are no rules but one. Aaron has to answer the same snotty questions he asks of us. Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Uh, First question. In terms of having the most power, who do you believe a president can pick or appoint that has the most power aside from Supreme Court justice? Uh, Is this up for debate, I guess, is the follow-up. I'm sure it's up for debate. I I would say the two most powerful positions that we have uh, in our executive branch, in my view— Um, Well, I'll I'll say the three. The three most powerful positions we have in the executive branch, in my view, other than the presidency itself, would be attorney general, secretary of state, and chief of staff. Chief of staff sets the agenda on a daily basis. They're essentially the the vice principal of the White House. Right? They run the day-to-day show so that the principal can can call the big shots. But in many, case, many cases, that chief of staff is going to be the filter that decides whether you get into the Oval Office or not, with your idea, your complaint, your lament, etc. cetera. Uh, Secretary of State, because you are the face of America's foreign policy. You're going to run the State Department. And I think in this administration, given the, uh, the inconsistent, we'll go with that, we're creating new euphemisms each night to make this sound palatable. Uh, given the given the um, the uncertainties, there's another one. Did you like that? Given the uncertainties communicated at times by the man about to assume the presidency, I think that this Secretary of State position will be seen even more influential across the world than it typically is. And then the third, I would say, is Attorney General, especially in light of the last gener- the last administration. Because of the extent by which the previous or the current outgoing administration exceeded the uh, or or pushed the limits of power of the attorney general, uh, that is it's incumbent upon who will then replace that person to roll it back uh, into its proper context and then to apply its proper oversight authority uh, accordingly across the country. So I think because of the precedent Todd set by the previous administration, Attorney General is always powerful, but even more so now. I think because of the precedent this administration is about to set, Secretary of State is always powerful, but will even be more so now. And then the Chief of Staff, who will be the filter who decides who gets Donald Trump's attention? I would say those would be the three spots. I can't argue with any of that, but I'll just go in a different direction and say uh, Treasury and Fed Chairman. 
And this goes along the lines of what you said. If you could change one policy to revolutionize things, what do you say, Steve? Withholding, right? Yeah, I'd get rid of paycheck withholding so immediately people would be confronted about their relationship with their own government. Now, I think that's... When people hear that, I think they really pause and say, you know, wow, I never thought about that way. Write that check yourself and then come back to me and tell me if government's too big or not. If you apply that more broadly to the Fed and the Treasury and really get people thinking about how we used to view monetary policy versus how we do now. I mean, people still, when you talk about the gold standard, things like that, their eyes glaze over. But somebody who could truly articulate in in a way that most people could understand and was willing to follow through on it. That would be a game changer. Yeah, and uh, since this wasn't uh, limited uh, just to the executive uh, branch, although I I, I agree with your analysis, uh, I would say uh, the Fed uh, Federal Reserve Chairman or woman, uh, whoever that is, is one of the most powerful people in the entire world. I mean, you you look at what uh, the United States currency uh, does and is uh, leveraged by or upon by all the other world currencies, and the uh, power that that Federal Reserve Chairman or woman has—it's uh, that's a, a massive responsibility. And I, I, according to research that I've done, uh, that decision is not going to come for another couple of years because Janet Yellen's term is not yet up. Uh, question two: What's the most challenging conversation you've had to initiate with someone not? in your family that's not too personal either oh uh, the most ch- the list of this is a long list but um i would say going through a church split and the various conversations that uh emerged from that um i didn't go through a div- my, my my mom and my my first stepdad ended up getting divorced after i was an adult but i i didn't have to have that conversation as a child and this would be the closest thing i hope i ever get to it because that would mean my amy and i's marriage obviously didn't work which i don't want to have happen so i hope what happened with this church split is the closest i ever get to it because it it it, 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 and what i mean by the parallels is there were people that you were really close to that suddenly just didn't talk to anymore it was like there it was like a moat you know, and uh, you lose track of people inside of people, and um, and we were still early. Eh, we, I mean, not early in our faith, but early in the in the adult, you know, stage of our faith, and um, that was a difficult time. And there were some difficult conversations surrounding that. So, since that's the first thing that came to my mind when you asked this question, that must be the right answer, Tom. About uh, two years ago. Uh, one of my closest friends here, and I've lived in Des Moines now, I don't know, 16 years. Uh, our, our our oldest daughters uh, grew up together. We live right across the street together, but uh, she's an only child. Spent a lot of time together, but saw a lot of the the ways that she was raised over time. Very, very, very spoiled. Looked the other way on a lot of things, and it all kind of built up. I don't need to go into specific specifics, but finally, for the sake of my children and protecting them, I, I he he stepped too far. He stepped over a line. I feared that it would always happen. It did. I had to call him on it, and we haven't talked since. Hmm. Yeah, there was uh, one time 
um, a couple of my buddies and I decided just for uh, economics sake, we were all going to uh, find a place to move in together. And we had spent time uh, looking at different places and um, uh, finally uh, decided what when we were going to move in together. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, both these guys just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. <laughs> and I eventually had to have a conversation with uh, one of them uh, that said, hey, I, I don't know what's happening, but I got to find a place for myself to live. So you're kind of on your own now. That was uh, not a fun conversation to have either. Uh, last question. Uh, if you could be any non-Jedi Star Wars character, who would you be? Han Solo. Not Boba Fett, not no, Jango Fett. Not, no. Think of the jetpack, Steve. Bad guys, the jetpack. Han, Han Solo. Like, the likable rogue. Um, I would argue the real hero, because if he doesn't uh, show up that uh, uh, that one time in the Death Star Trench, we don't ever see the Return of the Jedi, more than likely. So, uh, not to mention, just freaking cool. So, I, uh, it's Han Solo for me. Yeah, but... Man, it's so frustrating. He should have gone down with, like, six bullet holes in him, like John Wayne. Why do you have to go out like that? Like what? He went uh, out the hero. Weak. Weak? What is this thing in Star Wars with um, sons killing their dads? You notice that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. Sort of. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that, yeah. yeah. That's kind of depressing. Yeah. Uh, it depends on your dad. Yeah, but, of course, there's no other answer than Han Solo. Who are you going to say? C-3PO? Good grief. No, it's Han Solo. Oh, yeah, I mean, I if you take out all the non-Jedi characters, everybody else is bad. Boba Fett. Yeah, I mean... Uh, he's that, a piece of poop. Well, he's a, he's a uh, what whatchamacallit, a uh, bounty hunter. I mean, he could he could be uh, he could have done jobs for I don't know the extended canon, but because he's a bounty hunter, he could have jo- done jobs for the good guys as well. Does he strike you as, as as doing jobs for good guys, especially given the fact his old man no, 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 really, is the model pack. is the model for the clones jet and the stormtroopers to come? Jetpack. It's a jetpack. He has just, a jetpack. Throw a jetpack on the back of the on the back of Han Solo. It's not the only jetpack in the Star Wars cool universe. And a jetpack. I'm very disappointed in you. I am. Stick to Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. show powered by conservative review on the salem radio network we're about uh, what do you think fellas about halfway through the trump transition so far so i thought it might be fun tonight 
if we brought out rules for patriots, my 10 commandments of political warfare, and I, well, I know Trump didn't read the book, even though he endorsed it, because I wrote the endorsement and he approved it. But I do know Steve Bannon, his political conciliary, Rasputin, Svengali, depending on your perspective, I know he read it. Because he interviewed me about it twice and told me he read it and then quoted much of it. So I'd be curious to take a look at these Ten Commandments of Political Warfare and and let's see how President-in-waiting Donald Trump, how he's performing alongside these Ten Commandments so far. First commandment, never trust Republicrats. Now, remember, a Republicrat, as I define it in the, in the book here, is not a rhino. A, a rhino is a Republican in name only. We know who the rhinos are, the, the Chris Christie's, the Bill Weld's. I mean, there's a, and, and, and there's a reason you find rhinos in California, New Jersey, Massachusetts, right? These are always in, rhinos are always in deeply blue states. That's their natural habitat. You know, a bunch of people making a big deal today that Maria Camella, Christie's former chief spokeswoman, is going to work for Chris Cuomo in New York. And I'm like, why? She just went from one liberal in the tri-state area to another, Okay. Uh, there's a reason why they typically, their natural habitat are these deep blue states, because they're liberals. They're progressives. There's just no more spots on Team D, right? So they, they sign up with Team R because that's where they can get minutes, so to speak. All right, but these guys are liberals. They're progressives. We know that. The Republicrat, though, has no known natural habitat. It is an amorphous organism. It is agile. It is mobile. <laughs> Trust me, once you get in in Washington, it is hostile. This is the organism that is able to blend in to its surroundings like a chameleon. It knows what to say. It has the consultants that know what you right-wingers out there listening to us, God bless you, what you want to hear, what talking points you demand to be said. And they say those things, and they say them with great conviction. But then once they get, them, once they get to Washington, D.C., the governance we get is essentially the same we would have gotten had the Democrats won. That is the Republicrat. So, gentlemen, do you think— that Trump has passed this first commandment, president-in-waiting Trump, based on what we've seen thus far. Well, breaking news uh, that happened on Tuesday, Elaine Chow. Yeah, Mitch, Ditch Mitch, McConnell's Ditch wife. Ditch McConnell's wife. Right. That raised my spidey senses, particularly on this topic. Does that mean that he absolutely doesn't trust Ditch and is seeking leverage through this hire, this was, I mean, out of all the people, yet she's she's from the cabinet of George W. Bush, so she she's a retread. I, I need a little bit more time to process this one, but if I had to go with a gut reaction, it would seem to me he doesn't trust Ditch at all, which is why he made this hire. Aaron? Yeah, I would say there are a few appointments that uh, have my spidey uh, uh, my spidey senses tingling a little bit too. First of all, was one of the first that he announced, which was Ryan Priebus. Uh, in my view, one of the most rhinoes rhinos who ever rhinoed, and so things like that. But then again, that's just it's a total mixed bag. Um, so overall, it's I would say it's uh, probably a, a draw right now. Now Bannon has has said on the record. That the, the Trump administration is going to put forth a billion-dollar infrastructure program similar to a, a New Deal. And, and essentially what he's, what he's advocating is that they use government to create jobs like we did with the Tennessee Valley Authority and, the, and all the things we saw in the New Deal. We use government to create jobs as a way of buying you know, blocks of votes for a generation. That's what the Democrats did. And it worked well into the 1990s. That was their coalition. 
uh, and they're going to they're going to emulate that. So if you if you want to get that passed through Congress, well, the Secretary of the Interior is married to the Senate Majority Leader. You know what I'm know what I'm saying mm-hmm. here? Yeah. So, all right, Commandment number two. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. Do we even have to debate <laughs> whether President in waiting Donald Trump is succeeding at honoring this commandment or not? I don't think so. I think so. he has a tattoo of that he somewhere. Does. I mean, politically, he is a serial killer, right? <laughs> uh, he's Buffalo Bill. Uh, he's Richard Ramirez. He's Ted Bundy. I mean, this, this guy kills for sport. Uh, he, he, he kills even without... Uh, without provocation or even without cause. It's just because it's Tuesday. So I don't think we have to debate this one, do we? No. no. Do you remember back in that first or second debate when you and I just couldn't stop laughing at the way right. he was saying? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I fully expect Trump to tweet tomorrow, I ate his liver with some fava beans <laughs> yes. and a nice Chianti. Uh, commandment number three, never accept the premise of your opponent's argument. Have we seen... The administration in waiting, have we seen them honor this commandment so far, Aaron? Well, who who is their opponent right now? And to me, that's... The media. The media. The media yeah. is the opponent. And uh, it may not be pretty all the time, um, but I would say probably at, at least 60% of the time he at least tries to do this. Although, just because he and uh, not, so may, not so much maybe the people who surround him, but he himself are, is not well enough versed in the issues to where he can always turn that premise or... Uh, you know, just uh, reject the premise that uh, that they try to portray him in. But at least he, he tries to try. Well, here's where we go down the rabbit hole. He does this all the time, Steve. He does this in the middle of the night on Twitter. And we thought it was going to be one of the things that kills him. And it didn't. Commandment number four. Never surrender the moral high ground. <laughs> go <on>. Fail. <laughs> Slap an F on there and let him go home. Give us evidence you think of him surrendering the moral high ground. What does that look like? Give me an example. Uh, morals? What morals? I mean, this, that, that would actually presuppose that there is some moral high ground that he thinks uh, there is to be had. So I, 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 I think that's somewhat impossible to, to answer. Gay marriage well, has already been decided by well, the courts. you got to keep in mind, though, that just because he has a different moral code than we would prefer doesn't mean necessarily he has surrendered for the, for the type of lead, leadership he's trying to project. He's pr- he oh, has surrendered too much credit. the moral high, high ground. I mean, it, for him, the moral high ground. You're 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 dealing with a Clintonian figure, okay? There there, it's not it's not moral. It's not immoral. It is amoral. Mm-hmm. There isn't a line, and and the line is what is to the what is to the benefit of me and whatever I'm trying to accomplish at that time, right? That's correct. All right. So if that is the moral, if that is his plumb line, just a purely Machiavellian worldview, along those lines, then. If 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 we're gonna you know if we're gonna game plan this out, has he therefore surrendered his morals, his moral high ground? If has his, he surrendered that? If his uh, morals are amoral, if, if if that's the only moral guideline, then no, he hasn't. It, uh, it's impossible not. for him, by definition, to surrender right. it because it can be anything it needs to be at any given time. Which is what makes him such a difficult target. More on how the president-elect Donald Trump is obeying my Ten Commandments of Political Warfare in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. 
other show sounds like him because no other show would dare. This is Steve Dace. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. Continuing here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. We're, we're looking at, speaking of review, we're kind of reviewing halfway through the transition how Donald Trump is doing according to my Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. And I want to go back to the commandment. Before we move on, we were just discussing uh, about never surrendering the moral high ground. And, and that's a problematic commandment to judge with Donald Trump, given the fact he's largely an amoral figure. And, that's, we, and we saw this yeah. in the 1990s with Bill Clinton. Now, and that's why he was so successful politically. Uh, and, and if we looked at his policy profile, there'd be a lot of things Bill Clinton did that we enjoyed, that we wouldn't be in favor of. But what ultimately, that same thing that made Bill Clinton, though, such a difficult opponent politically, on a human level, was ultimately his undoing as a president. Right? Our sins find us out. We, are, we ultimately become accountable for who we are. The manifestation of our weaknesses, when you, when you, when you get, I've said this before, when you give a man like Donald Trump or Bill Clinton... I think there's a reason they were such good friends for so many years. Um, when you give such men more power, 90% of the time, it leads to their, them and the people around them's ultimate undoing. 10% of the time, they, they, they wake up one morning, realize, crap, history's at stake. I got to become Winston Churchill, and they grow up like that. Now, we're all here obviously praying it's the latter and not the former. But it will be, don't you think? It will ultimately, whether he's on office for four or eight years, it will be one of those two things, ultimately. Whether he meets the moment of history or he continues to try and play this self-actualization game that's got him to where he's at this far in life will ultimately be revealed by his time in the White House, just as it was with Bill Clinton. Well, and they fall because they think their moral flaws are the are the thing that got them where they did. Exactly. So they turn them up to 11. That's exactly and that's right. And impo- it, it's that's unsustainable. A, they're given every incentive to indulge themselves with that kind of power. You're exactly right. Yeah, there's, there's either pass or fail. This is a pass or fail um, type of deal. And um, history, I think you're absolutely right. I think history will uh, look back on either that being a fail, uh, t- President Br- uh, Trump not living up to expectations or what he expected of himself or, or not. Commandment number five, reverse the premise of your opponent's argument and use it against him. Now, we kind of laughed the other day when, when Trump was questioning the legitimacy of an election he won. And I use the, the, uh, the example of reminded me of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer hit 21, hit on 21 at the blackjack table. <laughs> All right. But you could make an argument that is an example of what we're talking about right here. Right. He's saying, hey, you guys want to question the legitimacy of 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 this election. How many illegal aliens voted in California? Maybe you didn't win the popular vote since that's almost your entire popular vote margin. Right. Is that an example of him playing hey, this commandment out? If, if we and that's exactly where I was actually going to go uh, that that tweet the other day. And um, yeah, it was kind of sloppy and sloppily done. But then again, we've talked before about how you have to make your points in 140 characters or less in this culture. So, hey, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's terrible at this. He misses so many opportunities. Just grabbing low hanging fruit. He just responds. Oh, yeah. Well, your your we mama wears combat boots. We saw this in the debates where Hillary Clinton literally was brutally honest about her leftist progressivism out of mainstream with 85 percent of Americans. And he just didn't have the intellectual wherewithal to hang that around her neck, except one time. And that was the, the, the second debate they had after the video came out, and it was uh, – and the Obamacare subject came up. I thought he nailed her pretty good. 
when she was out there openly advocating for Obamacare. But that was the that was really the only time we saw in the debates that he was able to do this on substance. I think that's why he goes to Twitter. It, it's 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 the game that he knows he can play. It's it, he feels like he's the home team in that arena much more than a long form conversation. Don't you guys think so? I think that's why he does it. Uh, let's go to commandment number six. Never abandon your base unless they are morally wrong. Now, I think Trump's base is going to be exceedingly hard to abandon because they're, I guess, we'll just go with fiercely loyal. Anyway, um, uh, so th- that's going to be a tough base to abandon, guys. All right. But have we seen anything at all? Uh, I guess unless you really thought he was going to lock her up. And even on that, we don't know what Attorney General Jeff Sessions will do when he takes over the Justice Department. He may take a look at that. He may, he may, he may, he may take a look at that while not taking a look at it. Meaning, re- he may order a review of the FBI's processes and what they investigated, and it will be billed as oversight of the FBI and not the Clintons. You know what I'm saying? So, he might just. That's the thing with Trump. You don't really know what he is saying is true at that time until the time comes to follow through with it. So right now they're saying, well, we're you know we we think the Clintons have suffered enough, but we'll. Do we know for sure that when they get into office that they're really going to – that's how they're going to really think about this? We don't know that, do we? No, and that's something that we'll, we'll have the answer to maybe two, one, two, or four years into his – into his administration because uh, right now he other than appointments that he's made various appointments that he's made he hasn't really had much of an opportunity to abandon his base yet tom i'll let you react to this when we come back Listening to Steve Dace. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten, listening once again with candy canes and silver lanes aglow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Toys in every store. But the You're listening to the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. And we're reviewing how Donald Trump's, uh, at least the first half of his presidential transition, is, is performing according to the Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. Todd, I want to give you the chance now to respond to what we were just saying about Trump and and the commandment, never abandon your base unless they're morally wrong. Well, this infrastructure play is going to be a way for him to abandon his base on any number of levels. Oh, I disagree. I think that's paying those people mm-hmm. back. No, that's I, what I'm saying. Yeah, he, I, think, I, think, I think that is saying to those rural white people... Those steel jobs aren't coming back. Those manufacturing jobs aren't coming back. So we're going to create a new deal, retrain you to give you these jobs instead. No, I I agree. Maybe I uh, spoke poorly. Uh, Okay. But that's his way of dropping the wall. That's his way of walking away from other things. It's their payoff. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, let's face it, most most of those folks, if they had a choice between some phony baloney government job uh, that was going to put food on their table next Friday, you know, you know, with, with a paycheck next Friday, or building a wall. Which would they choose? 
Well, they choose the paycheck choose unless the paycheck. and until we have a, a, a new circumstances intervene and we have an issue on the border or something like that that causes a fire. Now, stop. the building of such a massive wall, you want a jobs infrastructure program. Could it take some jobs and some manpower to build such a thing, right? It's like building the pyramids. <laughs> All right. Commandment number seven. Define your opponent before they define themselves and define yourself before your opponent defines you. Uh, Again, done. do we even have to debate? No, that? no I, I think done. we got this. I think he's master got this, class so. level. Yeah. yeah, I think exactly. I mean, listen, he could teach us classes on this. Uh, let's be honest about this. Right, I mean, this this is this is the guy's DNA, right? I mean, so I mean, I, I'm Ted Cruz and I are are friends. I have a t- I have a hard time that the branding is so powerful. I have a hard time not immediately think Lion Ted. When you think of Marco Rubio, you mean little Marco. You can't help yourself because the the powerful the, his ability to powerfully brand his opponents in a demeaning fashion is over, pretty overwhelming, don't you think? I think it's pretty overwhelming. Only because we as a culture are pathetic. Commandment number eight: Always make your opponent defend their record slash belief system. Well, we'd have to go back in part to which a couple of commandments ago where he misses a lot Depends of depends on the arena, doesn't? Yes. If the game is played on social media win but if he but so that's when he's wearing the dark jerseys he's the home team right mm-hmm. but if he's got to go you know when he goes on the road is when he's got to go uh, into long form answers on actual substance and that's when he he doesn't like playing those road games so it probably depends on the venue here this right? is why you would isn't one of his most important appointments going to be his press secretary I don't, yes absolutely i agree Yes. That's probably why he hasn't uh, made it yet. That's why I suggested Newt Gingrich, who has the ability to say things with great conviction he clearly doesn't believe and know he knows he cannot back up. Are the yes. people he's choosing from like currently in battling in some sort of Hunger Games format to <laughs> yes. see who's the best? I want you know what Trump ought to do for, for White House press secretary is like scene in the dark night. Yep, the Joker. Where the Joker walks oh. in and says, <laughs> Now we're gonna have some aggressive expansion. But we're gonna have tryouts and just pop open the pool stick and let them go at it right and whoever comes out alive you're the one you're ready to take on the washington press corps uh commandment number nine um or commandment number yes nine stay on message <laughs> yeah this as whatever we think he's able to do about not attacking what he's willing to kill mm-hmm. if he's if, if if whatever one a couple of commandments ago todd that you said he was a jedi master at he is romper room kindergarten he's at head start level eating on, paste on, yes he's we're uh, don't eat paste <laughs> All right, he is head, at head start level on stay on message. There, there is yeah, no message. Is, I mean, there are no is, morals. It, he is amoral, and he is a message it is, as well. It is a. I mean, he is human stream of consciousness. If stream of consciousness as a literary device was personified into a human being, yes, this would be it. That, I mean, this is this. There is no me- the, the 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 staying on message is that there is no message. Right, commandment number ten: play offense. No, this this no. he does do. He he does this one well though. Right, you rarely see him. There was one debate where Cruz in the primary, where Cruz and Rubio teamed up on him. He was on the defensive then. Um, the very well, I would argue all three of the debates to some to varying degree were not the the main general election debates were not good for him. But the first debate in particular, um, I thought he put himself on defense with the way he answered the questions and behave. But other than those moments, given how much media coverage he received, given all of the obstacles and opponents that he faced on the way to the White House. Beyond those two examples that I've cited, can you think of a time where Donald Trump was on defense? No, that's not what he does. No. no. And to considering 
the mealy mouth nonsense we've had to endure for so long, there's something undeniably refreshing about somebody who just does not give a rip what you think. I Yes, and I think that helped him a lot as a candidate. But now that he's going to have to make the decisions, I think people will give him a little bit more rope because they do kind of like that anti-hero act. Americans, we've always kind of liked that, right, to some extent. But that rope may be longer for him than it would be for a true believer of some ideology. But ultimately, if the decisions he makes don't make people's lives better, then their opinions of that, it's going to go from a shtick to an annoyance in a year or two. So, so it got him there. That, that helps you as a candidate, but now you have to actually govern. And, and we, if the unemployment rate, if, if we go from 93 million Americans out of work a year from now to over 100 million Americans, a lot fewer people are going to find that crap funny, don't you think? Because I think that's the way it works. Because now it's about, hey, it was funny how you made it about you as a candidate, but now it's time for you to make it about me. I want college cheaper for my kids. I want a J-O-B, right? You know what I'm trying to say? I, want, I, don't want, I don't want gas two fifty or three dollars a gallon. So and and I don't want any more Somali uh, refugees driving cars down the main street of a freaking college campus, going over the curb, running people over, and jumping out with a machete and having people tell me they're not sure what the motive is. Okay, make America great for me that's, again. That's what most people think make America great again means. That's exactly right. And we'll be back to see if we can make the Steve Day Show great again as we wrap things up here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. I had to wait for a few seconds to see what song that was, whether it was going to remain on the approved list or not. I have to say, the first few notes not promising. But um, I'm gonna. That, 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 what has happened to him? You would think a Christmas slappy would just uh, welcome with open arms anything that purports to be Christmas. It, 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 it no, no. It's it's got to be good. There's there's a hundred million versions of Oh Holy Night. I'm going to put that one right now as questionable on the injury report for another rendition or not. We'll but, see. By now, Aaron, you have, you've got to feel like you're attached to electrodes dude, back there. And dude, Steve's freaking, butt freaking, fingers just hovering over the button. Zap. week, every time I click play on a bumper, it's Dude's like nervous. You Christmas, can feel it. Christmas has been suspended. It is now festivus for the next like 30 the re- seconds. He's the re- Steve going I can, to air his grievances I can, I can feel it, too, here in the studio. As, there's just silence waiting for me to react. <laughs> He's well, Aaron Sinnott, do I, I still have a job or not? Yeah, Can we play this song see, again I, or not? I, I don't know. I couldn't really care less if you like the song or not. I'm going to take it out if you don't like it. What's confounding to me is why it was in the system in the first place. But that's just me, man. Yeah, it's, that one's... Uh, you know who, by the way, I'm going to lose dude points for this, but you know who does a great version of that song? Josh Groban does. Yeah. It's a stirring version. Dude points. No. Stirring version of, of Oh Holy Night. All right, let's wrap up the conversation we just had. Let's give it a letter grade. 
All right, so this is the what have we learned this this evening. So after we've gone through the Ten Commandments of political warfare and how the Trump transition team is done at about halftime now, um, and you have the big you have the big Secretary of Defense decision today with General Mattis getting that position. So based on how we graded him commandment to commandment, if uh, if if the Trumps showed up at parent teacher conferences, Todd and and they were looking for a report card grade. What grade would you give their transition so far? C, and it's totally by accident. You know, he's one. He's those kids you say, you know, you got unlimited potential. Uh, you basically get that just by falling out of bed. Your natural instincts in some areas are uh, outstanding, in other places they're uh, atrocious. Uh, and we might one day see you as a, a a rising star that becomes president of the United States or a serial killer. We're not sure yet. He's a tough grader, man. Don't take here. Here's what you, here's what else you learned tonight, kids. Don't take Professor Erzin's class. Don't take that class. All right, Aaron, go um, ahead. B minus right now uh, for some of the same reasons that Todd. I mean, I think it is part of it is by accident, but part of it is because. You know, I, I would really like to compare how Donald Trump has done in keeping these commandments to what a, uh, a President Bush, um, you know, a Jeb Bush or a President uh, Kasich will have done or would have done. You know, because I think he's he's actually better than some of those oh, yes. o- other people in keeping the commandments. It's just in a different package that none of us would have expected or wanted. I think B- minus is a good grade. I think it's a good grade. Which really isn't that much different than a C. I just wanted to rip Todd before we got out of here tonight. I hear you. <laughs> Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.